Welcome to Above Avalon. This is episode 140. Let's talk content. Hi, I'm Neil. This past November, Amazon surprised many people by announcing Apple Music would be available on Echo devices. For some, it was as if Amazon sent shockwaves across a number of industries. The news kicked off a debate regarding Apple's strategy in the home. Earlier this month, we had some additional news regarding Apple and content. Samsung announced Apple was bringing iTunes content to its smart TVs. Apple also expanded AirPlay 2 support to include a wide range of high-end television sets. And once those developments came out, we start to see this Apple debate broaden. With some people saying that Apple is coming up with an entirely new strategy. For the first time, Apple is emphasizing services in the pursuit of growth. This is made that much more important with iPhone sales slowing. We had other people say that the Apple ecosystem was starting to crack. How else could you explain Apple starting to make certain services available on non-Apple hardware? In my view, those theories and those positions, they didn't sound right. They were incomplete. Today's episode is going to be dedicated to talking about Apple's content distribution strategy. And we will cover why I think some of those other theories are off the mark. Apple isn't embracing some type of cultural shift away from hardware. And said this sure looks like a company taking pages from its existing playbook to leverage its user base, leverage its existing relationships with hundreds of millions of iPhone users in an effort to establish one of the more formidable content distribution arms in existence. The best place to begin is with the basics. Apple has long held an interest in being the one to deliver content to its growing base of users and devices. You don't see Apple being okay with leaving content distribution to someone else. Over the years, Apple has worked to expand its content distribution arm. Now we have the company distributing music, TV shows, movies, apps, podcasts, news, magazines, and books. Apple has seen varying degrees of success when it comes to distributing content. We could start with music. With iTunes, Apple took advantage of the Mac's low market share by getting the music industry to test a pretty radical idea at the time, selling digital music online. iTunes ended up playing a big role in moving the entire music industry from albums to singles. And there was a period where Apple benefited from having an iTunes empire. We could look at apps. After years of strong growth, App Store revenue was approximately $45 billion in 2018. That's my estimate. Podcasts. Apple has been a leader in the podcast space from the beginning. The item that has proven to be trickier for Apple has been written content. We could look at books, magazines. 
when the iPad was first introduced, there were a number of ideas put forth in an effort to really capture the written content world just like Apple captured music with iTunes. It didn't really pan out. However, given some of Apple's recent actions with Apple News, which has seen strong momentum, and the recent acquisition of Texture, it would appear that Apple has not given up on written content distribution. So we know that the idea of Apple having its own content distribution arm is not new. It's not as if Apple wants to get into content distribution just because iPhone sales are slowing. Instead, the landscape facing Apple's content distribution arm is undergoing significant transformation. And I think Apple sees some opportunities here. We can start with music. Online streaming has taken over the music industry. The iTunes era of pay downloads is over. The idea of owning music is quickly becoming a thing of the past. Instead, renting has become the preferred method of consuming music. The changing landscape played a major role in Apple's decision to buy Beats back in 2014. Apple was caught off guard. You had a company spend 10 plus years building an empire based on paid downloads. It took Apple a number of years to come to grips with the idea that streaming was the future. And the company needed to change its ways. When you look at the dramatic change that has taken over the music industry, it's almost startling. According to the Recording Industry Association of America, streaming now accounts for an astounding 75% of the U.S. music industry's revenue. Digital downloads account for just 12%. That's slightly ahead of the 10% attributed to the physical sales. In the U.S., approximately 50 million people are paying for a monthly subscription to consume as much music as they want. Globally, the total number of paid music subscriptions exceed 200 million. Apple Music has approximately 60 million paying subscribers. Turning to video, direct-to-consumer distribution has turned the industry on its head. Instead of the big cable bundle imploding, new lower-cost video bundles such as Netflix and Hulu have exploded in popularity. These revised content bundles have two things. They have the content that people want to see, and they have the distribution method that people want to use. More than 200 million people pay a monthly subscription to consume video through these newer bundles. There is no question that this number will continue to increase as notable names, including Disney, are close to entering the direct-to-consumer space. One of the more interesting implications found with this new digital content landscape is how scale has been redefined. Success is no longer measured in the tens of millions of users like it was in the iTunes era. Today, scale is measured in the hundreds of millions of users. I think that's important when we think about where Apple wants to bring Apple Music. 
and Apple's strategy for video distribution. Spotify is the largest paid music streaming service. Netflix is the largest video streaming service. Amazon has seen the most success in the area of bundling access to content. YouTube, it's the behemoth in the ad-supported realm. You then have localized offerings in a number of emerging markets that have capitalized on this music and video streaming era to develop their own particular compelling solutions. Although I would say few have been able to really move beyond their home territory, but in many cases, they don't have to. If success in streaming is measured in the hundreds of millions of people, and we take a look at the number of users some of these leading services have, many people look at Apple as a company that already has enough users. This is a company that can sustain a thriving content distribution arm on its own. It has a billion users in the ecosystem. Accordingly, such a strategy would involve Apple keeping its content distribution services exclusive to Apple hardware. However, when you take a closer look at what's really going on here, there is one complicating factor in that strategy. According to Tim Cook, there are about 1.4 billion Apple devices in the wild. That total is reached from taking Apple's most recent disclosure regarding the total number of devices in the wild, 1.3 billion, that was a year ago, and then taking new comments from Cook that were found in his letter to investors when he announced that Apple was revising first quarter 2019 guidance lower. Here is Tim Cook in his own words. Quote, our install base of active devices hit a new all-time high, growing by more than 100 million units in 12 months. There are more Apple devices being used than ever before, and it's a testament to the ongoing loyalty, satisfaction, and engagement of our customers. End quote. Take the 100 million, add it to the previous 1.3, and that gets you 1.4. All of these numbers are still fresh in my mind because today's daily update was actually about this, where I took the 1.4 billion and I broke it out by product category. Apple doesn't break out the total by product, so I took that additional step just because it makes so many other discussions more useful and more valuable knowing how many iPhones are out there, how many iPads. We could extend that all the way down to how many Apple Watches, wireless AirPods, and even HomePods. When you take Apple's 1.4 billion device figure and then take the number of Apple users, which is about a billion, Cook's disclosure means that at least 60% of Apple's user base own just one Apple device. For hundreds of millions of people, the iPhone is likely that Apple device. We can even exclude China from this discussion. The number would still be hundreds of millions of people that just have an iPhone. I tend to think over the years, consensus has assumed that once someone enters the Apple ecosystem, they automatically just start buying Apple products left and right. 
And so you have people owning iPhones, iPads, Macs, Apple Watches. Now everyone's going out buying HomePods and Apple TVs. In reality, it's the opposite. A majority of Apple users have one product. Now, of course, why is it the iPhone? Well, the iPhone's the most valuable computer in most of our lives. So that's the one device that people are attracted to. And yes, there is usually this progression where once you buy one Apple product, the odds go up that you will buy maybe a second Apple product over time. Or maybe a third. And as we move into the wearables era, I think that trend is going to accelerate. Where if you have an iPhone, you are going to be that much more likely to buy an Apple Watch. And then buy a pair of wireless AirPods. But as it stands today, at least 60% of Apple users just have an iPhone. That changes the dynamic facing Apple's content distribution strategy. Apple users are not monolithic when it comes to gadget buying. Instead of exclusively using Apple hardware, a majority of Apple users also own devices from other platforms. That can include Samsung smart TVs, Amazon Echo speakers, We could go crazy and even include soundbars in there. Apple's design-led culture and product development process ensure that there will always be product categories such as TV sets and low-end stationary speakers that Apple chooses not to play in or compete with. With that in mind, here's what I think is Apple's content strategy. There are three parts. The first... Develop content distribution platforms. Pretty self-explanatory. The second step, give content distribution platforms the best chance of success by leveraging the user base and allow certain content distribution services to be consumed on non-Apple hardware. And then the third part, provide first-party hardware solutions targeting users who are looking for the best all-around Apple experience. Apple's user base provides the company optionality when it comes to distributing content. By not keeping some of its content distribution services exclusive to its own hardware, Apple reduces the risk of its users turning elsewhere for content. I think an example would go a long way at this point. Let's look at Amazon Echo speakers. Odds are good that a decent portion of Echo speaker owners also use iPhones. What are these people using their speakers for? What's the use case? Long time above Avalon listeners and readers are probably going to know the answer to this. They're listening to music. They're consuming music. That's the predominant use case with stationary speakers. I don't see any evidence that these devices are ushering in a new paradigm in computing, like everyone said in 2017. Go back to 2018. It got real quiet. 
when it came to stationary speakers. The buzz died. That's not meant to say that they're not being sold. People are certainly buying them. The fact that most of these low-end speakers go for the same price as a gourmet pizza in New York or San Francisco certainly helps sales adoption. Actually, it's about the same price of a gourmet pizza here. You don't even have to be in New York or San Francisco. $25, $30. I don't want this episode to be all about stationary speakers, but I continue to think that once you have wearables adoption, get to a certain point, and it's continuing to grow as time goes on, I think that's going to take a lot of the oxygen out from the stationary speaker market when it comes to having digital assistants in the home. I think there's a place for them, but I'm not convinced it's through a stationary device. I think there's more value in having that digital assistant on you and with you, regardless of where you are, either inside the home, inside the office, or outside. Turning back to our discussion, if the predominant use case found with these stationary speakers is listening to music, a lot of these iPhone users may be tempted to try Spotify or Amazon Music. By bringing Apple Music to Echo devices, Apple is able to leverage its existing customer relationships in order to improve Apple Music adoption. The same principle applies to letting Apple users send content played on an iPhone, iPad, or Mac to non-Apple speakers or television sets via AirPlay 2. We can go even further to say the reason Apple Music is available on Android is to appeal to iPad and Mac users who don't own iPhones. Yes, there are some people in that group. Another assumption underpinning Apple's content strategy is that a portion of the Apple user base will gravitate towards premium content consumption experiences. Apple is in a great position to sell these first-party solutions, and we're talking about Apple TV and HomePod, to those users. And again, those are users willing to pay for the best all-around Apple experience. At this point, I want to focus a little bit on the misconceptions that are out there. There's been much confusion in the press as to this content distribution strategy. We have things like Apple is said to be de-emphasizing hardware in order to grow services revenue. Apple's decision to bring Apple Music to Echo has been compared to bringing iTunes to Zune music players. Apple is said to be no longer fully behind products like Apple TV and HomePod. Those theories are off the mark. A strategy characterized by Apple prioritizing services over hardware would look completely different versus what Apple's doing. Such a strategy would revolve around Apple selling a $29 Apple TV dongle or a $29 HomePod Mini. 
With those products, Apple hardware's function and value proposition would be altered to promote non-hardware Apple products, such as Apple Music or a video service. Neither one of those devices is likely to materialize. I don't think you're going to see dongles. I don't think you're going to see home pods go for the price of pizzas. Because Apple isn't prioritizing services over hardware. Apple is selling an Apple TV box priced at a 20% premium to a 32-inch TV with Roku built in. One HomePod goes for the same price as 12 Amazon Echo Dots or Google Home Minis. Apple TV and HomePod are premium accessories in the Apple ecosystem. When it comes to comparing Apple's current strategy with that of iPod and iTunes last decade, Apple didn't have an ecosystem containing a billion users at 1.4 billion devices in the early to mid-2000s. Making iTunes available on other MP3 players like Microsoft Zune would have done little to improve iTunes or Apple's broader ecosystem. The opposite is true today. Making certain content distribution platforms available on non-Apple hardware can help improve the service in question, which ends up adding value back to Apple hardware. Look at Apple Music as an example. If by making Apple Music available on non-Apple hardware, and again, this is something Apple's been doing for years. We had Apple Music on Android. If that action results in more people using Apple Music, that improves the service. It gives Apple more power. A stronger Apple Music service then adds value to Apple hardware. It's all connected. The other point here is that Apple now has the ecosystem to not only target premium accessories to a segment of the user base, but also appeal to other users by bringing certain content distribution platforms to non-Apple hardware. A similar situation did not exist in the 2000s. That's another way of saying Apple has the freedom to get behind a product like Apple TV or HomePod and not necessarily need 90% of your users to buy those products, but target those products to those who want premium experiences and those who are willing to pay for premium experiences. At the same time, don't ignore all of your iPhone-only users who may just end up forgetting about Apple Music altogether and going with Spotify or Amazon. So you're taking Apple Music, and in a way, you're tailoring it to different segments of the user base. For those who want the best all-around music listening experience with Apple Music, there's HomePod. For those who maybe have other devices in the home and may feel compelled to go elsewhere, make Apple Music available on Echo devices. That decision may end up keeping that iPhone user as an iPhone user. And down the road, that action may actually pull that iPhone user into the ecosystem just a little bit more. So maybe they're interested in buying that Apple Watch. 
or eventually paying more for the HomePod. Making Apple Music or a video streaming service available on other platforms does not reduce the value found with HomePod or an Apple TV. HomePod doesn't have a weaker value proposition just because Apple Music is available on a $29 Echo Dot. Apple TV is not kneecapped because AirPlay 2 support is available on a Sony TV set. People who end up selling those premium accessories short, I think they're misunderstanding the Apple ecosystem. And the idea that not everyone's the same. Apple users don't have the same philosophy around technology or premium accessories. And those products could do extremely well if you have adoption at just 5 to 10% of the Apple user base. When we begin to look ahead at what may start to happen here, I think Apple sees a massive opportunity in content distribution. There is a glaring weak point found in music and video streaming, and that is brutal economics. Both Spotify and Netflix have business models in search of sustainability. Spotify's most likely path to sustainability boils down to having so many listeners that the balance of power begins to tilt towards Spotify and away from content providers. So either Spotify has to pay less for music or the company is going to make a big move into original content. Turning to Netflix, that business model is based on a feedback loop that is consuming increasing amounts of cash. Netflix clearly needs significant subscription price hikes over time, and the only way to guarantee that those price hikes will stick is to continue ramping up content spending because you have to sustain engagement. If they lose engagement, there are problems. You see a lot of people going around saying, well, this is actually not a Netflix competitor, or this isn't going to be a Netflix competitor. Everything is a Netflix competitor. The company needs to grab our attention and our time. Sleep, eating, working, playing video games, reading, watching YouTube. That's all competition for Netflix. And I think going forward, we can put Disney Plus on that competitor list. We can put the service that Apple's developing on that competitor list. When it comes to these sustainability issues for companies like Spotify and Netflix, which I still think is ultimately about money, Apple doesn't have to worry about those issues given their business model. And instead of releasing low-margin hardware that boils down to being nothing more than a service conduit, Apple can use third-party hardware as Trojan horses for its own content distribution arm. I think dedicated music and video streaming players will have to eventually prioritize profit and revenue. Now, maybe at that point, they look entirely different than they do today. Maybe they enter new industries, they come up with new offerings in an effort to increase the value that they provide their customers. But profit and revenue will eventually matter. Meanwhile, look at Apple. They have the luxury of not having to worry about profit as the motivating factor behind its content distribution arm. Ultimately, what Apple is really doing here is they're going for power. We can look at a few calculations to really prove that point. Look at Apple Music. Let's assume that they get 100 million users paying an average of $7 per month. That brings in $8 billion of revenue per year. That sounds like a lot. 
75% of revenue goes back to music rights holders. Apple's gross profit for Apple Music at 100 million paying users, about 2 billion per year. 2% of Apple's overall gross profit. Video streaming economics may end up being even less attractive if you're looking at cash flow. Instead, Apple would be looking more at improving each service by grabbing scale and gaining influence and power in Hollywood. That's what I think they are ultimately after. The last topic that I want to cover has to do with Apple's goals. So what are some specific goals that Apple has in mind for its content distribution arm? And we'll start with Apple Music. I came up with three. The first is grab enough users to position Apple Music as a legitimate alternative to Spotify and Amazon Music. From Apple's perspective, scale in music distribution has gone from being a liability during the iTunes era to being the key to success with Apple Music. That's why I think the decision to bring Apple Music to Echo Speakers is a clear attempt to limit Amazon Music and Spotify adoption, especially when it comes to Apple users, and to elevate Apple Music adoption. I have this feeling that Apple really doesn't like how the number of Apple Music users and Spotify paid users are kind of increasing sort of at the same rate. They don't like that. (laughs) Now, granted, if you look at developed markets, I think Apple Music is doing better than Spotify. Spotify really is turning to emerging markets, lower prices per month. That's where they're grabbing all of their growth. Over time, I have questions over that strategy, but you just get this feeling that Apple really wants to do better when it comes to adding users to Apple Music. And this could explain why you're starting to see more in the way of bundling, tying it to mobile carriers. They're really fighting for every user here. The second goal, work more closely with the labels. By positioning Apple Music as an alternative to Spotify for the music labels, Apple is in a position to gain back the incredible amount of power that it once had with the iTunes empire. The third goal, capitalize on the changing way music is consumed by investing in better A&R capabilities. Playlists are gaining power in the realm of talent discovery. Leveraging improved ways to find new talent stands to improve both Apple Music playlists and Apple's relationships with music rights holders. And I do think this is some of the rationale behind recent Apple Music-related M&A. We now turn to Apple Video, and I have two goals attached to that service. I think the first one is convince third-party content creators to embrace the TV app. The key metric to watch in video streaming will be engagement. Accordingly, to have people spend an increasing amount of time in the TV app, Apple will look to establish a platform from which users can access various video bundles. So this strategy resembles more of Amazon's video playbook instead of Netflix's. The idea underpinning the strategy is that video streaming won't be a winner-take-all market or even a winner-takes-most market. Instead, the way that we consume video is from a number of different bundles. This is the rationale for why I think a Disney Plus streaming service can coexist next to Netflix, or why if another streaming service invests in original content, invests in intellectual property, and comes up with good storytelling, 
they can also find a market in the video streaming space. The second goal, use original content to elevate the TV app. Again, since one form of differentiation of video streaming is great storytelling, well, Apple has been focused on developing its own slate of original programming. So I think one thing Apple can do to stand out from Amazon is make its initial slate of original program free for TV app users. The idea behind that move would be to get people using the TV app, which will then increase the odds of people signing up and paying for third-party video bundles through the TV app. It's difficult to see how Apple can launch into original programming with some type of paid service, especially if you're talking about a handful of shows and only one season for each show. But I think over time, once that catalog grows and you just simply expand the number of shows, you move into other types of video content, you start having multiple seasons of shows, then I think there's room to have some type of paid product or paid service. Another long-term goal when it comes to content distribution, I think is bundling. There is an opportunity for Apple to bundle various types of content into one monthly payment. Music and video make the most sense for a bundle, although I think you can come up with something that includes news, magazines, maybe even cloud storage experiences. Apple is one of the few companies to have a diverse content distribution arm in addition to more than a billion customers and devices. That gives Apple some options when it comes to integrating its content distribution arm with entirely new hardware form factors. And that could be a form of differentiation versus every other content distribution arm that's out there, maybe such as Amazon or Google. Before we end this topic, I do think it's worth going over some of the challenges that Apple faces here. The most difficult task is found with video streaming. There is about to be a brutal war in video streaming because you're going to have a handful of companies with deep pockets compete with Netflix. In a scenario where you are left with only a few very powerful streaming services, I think that's a negative for Apple because it's going to be that much more difficult for Apple to get that streaming service to work nicely with its own TV app. Instead, that service is going to want to do things on its own. It's not going to want to play nice with Apple. On the flip side, greater competition could actually be a good thing for Apple because if streaming services feel like they have to really get in front of people, they have to be where people are putting their attention, that could get them to work with Apple and its TV app. With music, I think Apple has a much easier time. I think the entire dynamic is easier for Apple to manage. So if you maintain good relationships with a handful of labels, well, you have access to tens of millions of songs. And I think Apple's proving to be a formidable challenger to Spotify, despite many people declaring Spotify to be untouchable just a few years ago. But I do think that Apple has to keep an eye on Spotify and even Amazon Music. I think that there is an element here where if those services gain enough power, they will start to want to move into the idea or the realm of original content. And that could change the dynamic. In terms of written content, Apple is in a good position when it comes to relying on human curation to surface content. However, there are questions regarding scalability and just how effective Apple can be in convincing publishers 
to get behind those efforts. This is especially true if you start talking about a paid bundle of news or a paid bundle of magazines. It's difficult to see how the math works out with one of those services. So that's, I think, where a lot of the challenges will be for Apple. Taking a step back to look at the big picture, it isn't too late for Apple to compete effectively in music and video streaming. Meanwhile, when you look at the turmoil found in distributing and consuming written content through traditional social media vehicles like Facebook, I think that's still in the early innings. So that's going to give Apple its best chance or its best shot of finally cracking written content distribution. Meanwhile, when you look at the other parts of Apple's business, despite slowing unit sales, the iPhone continues to feel growth in the user base. Wearables are boosting the number of Apple devices in the install base. Those are positive developments when it comes to strengthening the Apple ecosystem. And I think they will also increase the number of people in a position to rely on Apple for content. So that is a long-term tailwind for Apple's content distribution arm. With a pair of smart glasses not quite ready to be unveiled, now is the time for Apple to dedicate precious time and resources to strengthening its content distribution arm. That's going to do it for today's episode. If you enjoyed the discussion and analysis found in this podcast episode, and you want more of it throughout the week, I do write a daily email all about Apple. Each email is about 2,000 words and covers two to three stories. Topics include everything from Apple business and strategy analysis, Apple earnings and financial estimates, to my perspective and observations on current news, Apple competitors, and Apple keynotes and events. If it is of interest to Apple, it is something I pay attention to. These daily updates represent the cornerstone of above Avalon membership. Additional privileges and benefits found with membership include access to my exclusive reports. These are in-depth examinations into Apple's business strategy. Each report covers one topic. A new report is published each quarter. So right now there are two reports available. The first is Apple's leadership structure. The second is about Apple's dividend strategy. Each report is about four to 5,000 words. So it is a different product versus the daily updates. Members also have access to my Apple earnings model. So this is a fully functioning earnings model that contains all of my forward financial projections. There's also a forum so you can chat with other Above Avalon members. I am finding myself spending more and more time in the Above Avalon forum. And there is an archive available so you can go back and read all of the material previously sent to members. Above Avalon is fully sustained by membership, so if you are already an Above Avalon member, thank you for your support. And if you aren't an Above Avalon member and you would like to become a member, just head on over to AboveAvalon.com and then go to the membership page. There are two membership options available. It's either $20 per month or $200 per year. Last but certainly not least, if you enjoy the Above Avalon podcast, if you can leave a rating or review for the podcast in Apple's podcast app. I would greatly appreciate it. Within the app, once you're on the Above Avalon page, just scroll all the way down, and there are options to either tap to rate or write a review. With that, I will conclude today's episode. I will talk to you all later.